The Hamlet Podcast, episode 83. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanmerty. We are in the middle of Hamlet's address to the travelling players and he's holding forth about what he does and doesn't like to see on the stage. He's gathering steam, so I'll read the whole speech before we break it down. Be not too tame, neither, but let your discretion be your tutor. Suit the action to the word, the word to the action, with this special observance, that you o'erstep not the modesty of nature, for anything so overdone is from the purpose of playing, whose end, both at the first and now, was and is to hold, as twere, the mirror up to nature, to show virtue her own feature scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time his form and pressure. Now this overdone, or come tardy off, though it make the unskilful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve, the censure of which one must in your allowance o'erweigh a whole theatre of others. Oh, there be players that I have seen play, and heard others praise, and that highly, not to speak it profanely, that neither having the accent of Christians, nor the gait of Christian, pagan, nor man, have so strutted and bellowed, that I have thought some of nature's journeymen had made men, and not made them well, they imitated humanity so abominably. It's pretty fascinating that Hamlet has switched from whatever kind of passion he was feeling in the previous scene, wherein he was so eager to check Ophelia's honesty, to being a kind of Elizabethan theatre critic here. Of course, there's a link. He's still talking about mirrors and truth and nature, albeit in a very different tone. We ended the last episode with Hamlet encouraging the actors not to be too extravagant, too much like an overdone Herod. That said, they shouldn't be shy, either. He says, Be not too tame, neither, but let your own discretion be your tutor. Discretion has cropped up a number of times already in the play. It's one of the first words Claudius speaks, while Polonius has mentioned that the young often lack it. When announcing the players, Polonius mentions that they are well-spoken, with good accent and good discretion. Hamlet's point is that the actors must not overdo it and shouldn't be timid either. Discretion is key and it should be their tutor. In other words, discretion should be the the balance between either extreme. He says, suit the action to the word, the word to the action. By action here, Shakespeare could mean gesture or just acting in general, but either way, Hamlet is encouraging sound theatrical taste, where everything earns its place and nothing is not warranted by the word or the text. And of course, lest we forget, it is a playwright who wrote this acting advice. Hamlet qualifies his comments with this special observance, that you o'erstep not the modesty of nature. While Hamlet is cancelling good acting, it's no accident that he's still using this language of modesty, just as he had such harsh words for women who paint themselves and affect artificial manners, here he's against actors who go too far. For, he says, anything so overdone is from the purpose of playing, whose end, both at the first and now, was and is to hold, as it were, the mirror up to nature. 
This is one of the greatest images Shakespeare ever crafted, particularly to do with acting and theatre. Holding a mirror up to nature is the perfect explanation of what theatre has always tried to do, then as now. We go to the theatre to see a little of ourselves reflected, to see a little of reality, to understand a little more of what it is to be human. The idea is that acting, or playing, holds this mirror up to nature and also operates to show virtue her own feature, scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time his form and pressure. Hamlet is here personifying nature, virtue and scorn. The theatre can reveal our nature, show us our virtues and present the image of our more scornful aspects. Hamlet continues that this mirror performance, shows the very age and body of the time, his form and pressure. This is a little more complicated, but the sense is that the theatre is reflecting the spirit of the times. The very age and body of the time is whatever is going on at a particular cultural moment, and so what's on stage can show a moment its form and pressure, or however things are taking shape at this particular time. The best theatre absolutely reflects and communicates with the time in which it appears. And of course, some scholars, like the excellent James Shapiro, have studied the ways in which Shakespeare's own works reflect the times in which he wrote. Hamlet continues his instructions to the actors. Now, this overdone or come tardy off, though it make the unskilful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve. He's saying here that if the actors overdo things or don't do them particularly well, they might get a few cheap laughs from audiences who don't know any better. Hamlet, the self-styled expert here, can't resist coming off as a bit of a snob when he describes audiences as unskillful. This overdone or calm tardy off, though it make the unskillful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve. Hamlet's insisting that playing too big or for cheap laughs will distress a real connoisseur, someone who is judicious, and that the actors should have such judicious ones in their minds as they act, because even one of them is worth an entire theatre of the unskillful. The censure of the which one must in your allowance overweigh a whole theatre of others. He really is being a snob here, but as he's thinking along these lines, Hamlet starts to reminisce about other performances that he's seen, even some that are highly praised, but who have so overdone it that they don't even appear human. It's a very long sentence, so we'll go through the whole thing first. Oh, there be players that I have seen play, and heard others praise, and that highly, not to speak it profanely, that neither having the accent of Christians, nor the gait of Christian, pagan, nor man, have so strutted and bellowed that I have thought some of nature's journeymen had made men, and not made them well. They imitated humanity so abominably. The beginning is clear, and the end is clear, but in the middle Hamlet gets to talking about Christians and so on, and that starts to be a little more confusing. There are actors, he says, that he has seen perform and has heard others praise, and praise highly, indeed, and without wishing to be crude about it, they behave neither like Christians, pagans, nor any other kinds of men. The Arden Shakespeare editors have suggested that there's an echo of a line by Christopher Marlowe here, wherein he lists Christian, heathen, Turk, or Jew in Edward II, 
Hamlet is less interested in the differences and simply lists Christian, pagan or man. Regardless of what the bad actors were trying to present on stage, Hamlet's point is that they barely appeared human. These performers so strutted and bellowed that Hamlet reckons they were more likely formed by nature's journeymen or assistants. Rather than being formed by nature herself, they were created by the interns, who didn't even make them very well, since they imitated humanity so abominably. Some editors talk here about a little nerdy joke from Hamlet, playing on the word abominably. They include a H in the middle of the word, so it becomes abominably instead. Shakespeare had made this joke before in Love's Labour's Lost. It's by Holofernes, and it's in Act 5, Scene 1 of the play, if you want to hunt down some of the most obscure jokes Shakespeare ever wrote. And I'll put a little bit about it into the show notes too, if you don't. Here, of course, Hamlet is speaking about performers whose acting makes them seem to move away from humanity, rather than holding that mirror up to nature. In Latin, the sense of moving away from humanity would be something like moving ab homine, away from mankind, which could then meander into the word abominable, abhominably. My own small Latin isn't particularly convinced by this, but it is in the text, so you may draw your own conclusions. Whether or not Hamlet presents this wordplay as a little joke is a choice that the actor playing him is going to have to make. Regardless, he does pause for a little breath here, and again the first player finally manages to get a word in. He says... I hope we have reformed that indifferently with us, sir. He hopes that none of these egregious faults characterise his own company, and that they are better than that. Of course, we'll never get to find out if Hamlet's lecture doesn't end soon, but he isn't quite finished yet, and we'll save his final pearls of theatrical wisdom for the next episode. For now, thanks as ever for listening, and do be sure to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for the text and show notes for this and every episode. You can catch up on any episodes you might have missed, and you can find an archive of all the terms, figures, people, and references that have cropped up throughout the podcast thus far. I hope you'll join me next time.